Greetings all, this is Hear Her Sports, episode five. This week I'm talking with Robin Farina, who is one of the founders of the Women's Cycling Association and Advocacy Group. She and I talk about pay equality in cycling, a tour of California Twitter storm, the UCI, Virginia Slims, and one of her new projects, riding on a tandem with a blind rider on both the track and the road. I'm so excited to talk to you, I can't tell you. <laughs> I'm excited to talk to you too. My name is Robin Farina, and I i guess I would call myself an athlete, first and foremost. I have a love of sports, and not just one sport, but all sports. And that started from a very young age, and I started. I played soccer growing up, um, all through high school, got into volleyball, tennis, uh, basketball. I played everything, and uh, I, I would say it's who I identified as growing up. But come to find out later in life, it, it, it taught me just about everything that I have learned in life through sports. One of the questions that I have been asking people is, do they call themselves an athlete? And so many women that I've spoken to have said no. And it's been really interesting to me. And now here you are, you say that you've called yourself an athlete for a very long time. I think that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I, I just feel like that's at the end of the day, like that's who I am. I guess, you know, people call themselves lovers and fighters and warriors. And I think like I try to be both a lover and a warrior, but I feel like at the end of the day, like competition drives me. And, and that's one of the reasons I, I got into cycling was because I went to college and played volleyball and tennis at a very small school and then transferred to the University of Tennessee because I wanted a, a degree in sports management. I wanted to own a team. I wanted to be a general manager of a, a big sports team. I wanted to be on ESPN. Like That was what I saw myself doing. Uh, back in the late 90s when I went to Tennessee. And I did I did get a degree in sport management. And then I went and took a job at the Atlanta Braves for a year and then got an offer to come back to Nashville and work for the Nashville Sports Council there, which put on, which was solely responsible for bringing economic development to Nashville through sporting events, whether that was the Titans, the Predators, uh, NCAA basketball tournaments, the Music City Marathon. So I got to be at a very early age on the ground floor of a organization that was about bringing sports to Nashville, whether that was through marketing, uh, event management, uh, promotions, sponsorship. So I knew from a very young age that that's where I belonged and that's what I wanted to do. And then about four years later, I was introduced to cycling. And I never thought of myself as a cyclist, never even dreamed about riding a bike. I, that was just something I grew up in the Southeast in Nashville and people didn't ride bikes. You know, we, we drove cars. <laughs> we, we would take minivans to get to our sporting events. So I went to Tennessee and never really, I saw people riding bikes to, to class, but I never knew there was a, a, comp, a competitive level of, of cycling. And so I went to my local bike shop and, you know, they started talking me through the process of buying bikes and they sold me an upright bike, very slow upright bike. And surely enough, that was not good enough for me. I got passed by people. It was not what I wanted to be on. I wanted to be on something faster. So I got into mountain bike racing. I got into road racing and, you know, soon enough, I decided I was going to give it, give it everything I had. I was going to quit my job and 
pursue racing and I was going to give myself a certain amount of time to make it as a professional. I didn't even know what that meant, <laughs> but I knew I wanted to be it. So, um, did you have mentors at that point? I did. I found, yeah. I mean, like I found people who, in who, who understood the sport. I found people who would, um, help me grow in the sport. And, and they were, you know, typically they were like the local guys. I found a local coach. So I was, uh, I was inspired by this, I guess, level of fitness being around guys that I had to keep up with them or I had to like, you know, start, start riding with them all the time rather than have a, maybe a more calm and, you know, I guess, less aggressive entry into the sport. I was just thrown into it. I guess it was the early, I guess, late nineties, early two thousand. I still didn't feel, especially in the South, there weren't that many women racing. So, you know, we were just kind of there trial by fire. It's either you keep up or you get lost or there is a more gentle and I guess, um, more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just, uh, a slower, more developmental phase into cycling. And at that time there really wasn't that. And so I just kind of, you know, put my head down and worked really hard and, you know, begged to be on a few pro teams and finally got my, uh, got the, uh, the nod in 2008 and found myself on my first real pro team. 11 years ago, while I was racing, I started my own coaching company because I did recognize that there, <laughs> just being a woman, a pro cyclist in the, in the women's Peloton wasn't enough and meaning it wasn't enough to to survive. I couldn't pay my bills. I, uh, you know, it was at the mercy of people around me, my parents, my significant others, and I did not want to be that person. That was not going to work. So I decided to start a coaching company, and I've had that coaching company for the last 12 years now, and it has been the, the foundation from which I've been able to continue to race, direct, be involved in para, the Paralympic cycling team that I'm on now. So I... I feel like I'm very grateful that I saw that there was there was something else that also makes me feel sad because you can't just be focused on your sport and just put your head down and work hard and do the right thing and make it in this sport and I still feel like that's we're at that place today in women's cycling I, I think it's true in a lot of the sports I mean the you know the U.S. soccer team is is fighting the same thing absolutely I think you know there are very few women's sports that are actually on a level where you can just be a professional. I mean, I'd say soccer. I think soccer is probably a women's soccer is there, but they're certainly not being treated equal as they should for the amount of money they're bringing in. What are your thoughts about the relationship between increasing income for women athletes and media coverage? Well, I, I don't like the the whole chicken and the egg conversation. I just like uh, to me that just doesn't make a uh, it makes sense, but it's also like I don't want to hear about it. So <laughs> the the media. So I feel like in the past couple of years there's been more media around women's sports than ever before. Clearly, because there's more outlets. We have so many opportunities to be on TV. I think or or live stream like. I was watching Real Sports the other day because I love that show. And they were talking about if professional sports, professional football and basketball were declining. And the the reporters were saying that they absolutely think that 
the overall viewership of professional sports is decreasing because there are so many options out there. People are inundated with how many sports they can watch. And so that, to me, was a little bit troublesome because I feel like they're clearly just talking about men's sports. But then I started thinking about it. I was like, well, I don't think it's just men's sports. I think the same thing is happening to women's sports. I think we are, there's so many out there to watch, to be involved in, to be a fan of, that we're having a hard time gaining uh, viewership. And I do believe that it's, it's unfortunate because like the women's tour down under that just happened in Australia, you could watch the whole men's tour completely from beginning to end. You could see everything that happened. You could see all the races, but you could not find the women's tour. Um, I had a client who she's a young up and coming racer. She was texting me back and forth and she said, I can't, I can't find the women's tour. And I was like, well, let me know if you do. And she's like, I'm searching all over for links. I can't find it. And to me, that was super discouraging. See, this is it's one like, of my biggest complaints is you have to be like the major detective to find good women's sports coverage. It's absolutely true. I mean, she she's a smart girl. She works in social media. She's in sports marketing. And she could not even find this link. So I was like, I don't, and ultimately, I don't think there was a link. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like you have to follow on Twitter. So I I truly believe, you know, I, I listen to the UCI, you know, and they say they're making more women's women's cycling more available for view, for viewership. So that means online streaming. There was no online streaming. There was no, you know, there was no TV production. And I hate to say it, but ultimately I understand why. It's hard. This is not a TV product. Cycling is a very difficult TV product. But they're doing it um, for the men. They're already they doing it. Do, they are doing it for the men. I agree. But I think like changing the model of cycling, of how it's how it's viewed on TV, would probably be the best answer. Meaning, like you can't show stages that are 100k or 120k from start to finish. It's got to be a more exciting, more TV ready product which means a short course, more exciting, more compact. So you can see the, see the whole thing consistently, constant. What about track or, you know, like cycle cross? Absolutely. Mountain biking, pro mountain biking has done it. They have cut down their length of the course. They've put it on a more exciting, more sh like a short course that can be live streamed the entire time. And sure enough, they're getting more people behind it. They're what they have fans now. They have people like tuning in to watch these World Cups. And it's funny because the WCA, we actually worked on this in 2014. We recruited Donna Lupiano, who I'm sure if you're in any kind of women's sports, you know who she is. She was the one of the first. She was the first women's AD at, at Texas. She's been involved in the WTA. She's done many things in the women's sports, and she still fights for women's sports today. She sat down with us and spent a lot of time creating a product that was TV ready. And this is what we came up with. Now, because cycling is so historically, um, I guess it just has history the way it is. It's, it's, um, it's just the people who are in it believe it still should be this certain way. I don't think it's going to change. And I think that becomes the problem as to why we can't get more coverage is because it's not a super exciting. I, I should say it's not super exciting. It's totally exciting. But from a viewership standpoint, when you're just watching people ride through the countryside. 
and for I know the Tour hours. de France for five hours. I mean, even people who watch the Tour de France fall asleep during the middle of watching the tour. I do, even though I love it and I'm so in, into it in the last, you know, 15K. I just feel like there's not enough money right now to, 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 to see the whole thing. And so I don't, and I don't think there ever will be. Do you think that because there isn't currently coverage of women's road racing, that women's road racing can step away from the history and create this new product that you're talking about? Absolutely. I do. And I think what it takes is getting people behind it. You have to have the racers agree that they're actually the racers don't even matter. They're going to do whatever they're told ultimately. So it's really having the UCI buy into it, you know, and ultimately that's the ASO buying into it because really they control everything. Is this one of the things that that, uh, the WCA is doing? We have been working on this for a while. But I think the the UCI right now, as it stands, is is kind of, uh, they're not really willing to take big steps forward right now. I think they're they're giving us little steps, little pieces of the pie to make us feel like they're doing the right thing. It started to get really stirred up at the UCI with women and women cycling back in probably, I think it was 2013. You know, more people started going to the UCI saying, you've got to, you've got to help us step up. You know, the situation, the current state of women cycling is, is, is kind of pathetic. You know, there's no, there's no bar set. What, what makes a protein, there's no budget level. And to be quite honest, they've been working on that for a couple of years and there's still no movement in that either. Like you have to set a minimum budget to be a protein or else everybody is just like, you know, it's constantly undercutting people, which is why minimum salaries don't work is because there's no minimum budgets. So if you don't have a minimum budget, you can't have a minimum salary. Right. And, and riders should really be paid minimum salaries. I mean, let's, let's not kid around here. I I mean, I negotiated, I helped negotiate two contracts for two of my riders that I coach who are now on UCI pro teams and they may, they're making no dollars, nothing, not even getting to take a bike home at the end of the year. Wow. So they're basically volunteering and donating their time to make it so that hopefully next year they can be on a pro, they can get a contract for actual money. You know, we talked a lot about the WCA and why don't you give a little bit of uh, history and intro to what that actually is? The Women's Cycling Association was started in the middle of 2013 during the season. It was about 13 of us that kind of came together and decided that if we wanted to see change in women's cycling, then we had to do it ourselves. So these were pro racers that took, I remember we met, actually, the Tour of California had just taken place, the Women's Tour of California. And at that time, you know, the Tour of California was, I think, two stages for the women. The men had a full seven, which they've had for several years. Uh, they were just introducing the women's tour California. They had had like one stage, then the next year one stage. I think that year we had two. And uh, we it was a, a criterium, which, you know, everybody could race. And then there was an invite-only time trial. And at the end of the women's time trial, there was a, a very big battle going on between Allison Powers and Evie Stevens, and they cut the feed for the women's time trial and went straight to the men's the men were just starting so the last the the lowest rider on gc was being shown doing their time trial starting instead of what was happening at the you know the peak of the women's race and i remember getting done with the race that day and there was a a twitter storm you know people were just going off and it was ridiculous and how could they do that 
And there was no explanation for why that had happened. The programming had decided to switch. The people, you know, who were who had the say in the race decided they were just going to go to the men's because it was more important to show them. <laughs> and I don't think that's what they said, but that was absolutely the message that our fans and the racers took home. And so that was really the the impetus to start the the Women's Cycling Association was that, gosh, this is our circle of death. It's just this constant, like, we're not equal. We're not even being considered important because our race is not important. So 13 of us met after the Philly Cycling Classic. We, we went into the hotel, the team hotel, the race hotel. We sat down after the race, and we just started talking about the, the things that we felt were the most important and that we wanted to tackle. What can we, from the gun, start making change, start seeing and, and start lobbying to the UCI, create an association of racers? It, it blossomed. You know, we, we made a lot of movement. We, we shook it up. We decided that, you know, we had to have more representation at the, at the national and at the, the UCI level. And, and that has happened. Um, we created a buzz through the media is what we did. And it worked. As the years have gone by, we've decided to turn focus onto planning and more grassroots because we need we need the we need the numbers, and you get the numbers from the people who who support you. You know, women's cycling is small; <laughs> the number of actual professional racers is not a, a big number at all. So, you know, just relying on the racers to do the work is is really uh, it's just it, it doesn't work that way because they're always focused on on racing. And so we had to pull in racers like Inga Thompson, who had raced back, you know, 20 years ago, more maybe more than that now. We had to call in people like Donna Lupiano to help us with structure, with bylaws. And that was some of the most informative, uh, informative knowledge that we could have had. It was pretty amazing. So we're still in the process of moving forward. We try to reach out. We try to put on events now to create awareness, to get people more involved. We've got Iris Slappendell, who's one of our board members in Europe right now. She's she's still, she's actually lobbying to the UCI as we speak. So things are still happening. It's, it's the tough part is not seeing change fast enough. And that's what's disappointing. But at the same time, I think we have to keep in perspective, like what we're doing now is really for our future. And it's not about the racers who are racing right this moment. It's all what we can do for the future of our sport. Right. And what are the goals for 2017? Right now we are, we're still working with Iris on, on uh, creating some more items to be worked on by the UCI. I think, What's the unfortunate part is like you really can't do anything without the UCI buy-in. Like you can try, but because of the nature of the history of this, it's always been done this way. There are certain people in the sport who will not go away. We are kind of at their mercy. And that is unfortunate. Until we can find a sponsor like a Virginia Slims who, you know, rose women's tennis from from being just another sport to the, you know, premier women's sport, then, you know, we are at the mercy of UCI. So ultimately that is what we would like is to find that big sponsor that can help us create a better platform for women's cycling through making it TV ready, like what we had talked about earlier. And what kind of dollars is that? I would say, you know, 50 million at the most to get a whole season and, 
and then, you know, sponsoring every race throughout the season, you know, where you actually have prize money you can pay out. I mean, ultimately, that's that's like one player salary in the NBA. Right. It's not that much. <laughs> and you could support a whole sport and hundreds, maybe even a thousand people off of that. Right. It's really sad. Right. So I guess in perspective, it's not that much. Sounds like a lot. There are some really good th- things happening, like the, the Tour of America's Dairyland. You know, they've created a new, I guess, board of directors. They've included um, a couple women on that board to get our feedback. I am now on that board. Dee Dee Dement, or Dee Dee Barry, I guess was Barry Dement. She's on that. Uh, there's a couple other women that are now on that board and very vocal about how do you get more women racing? How do you get more pros to show up at races? Um, that's been that's been a big question. I get that all the time. Like, how do we get more women at our race? How do we we want to support the pro women? We want to see them thrive. We want to give them more prize money. But how do we get them here? And the one thing I said to them is calendar calendar coordination is everything. So if the calendar doesn't coordinate in a in a fashion where you can make the races, then they can't show up. They won't show up. It's too costly. So a lot of that does go back to USA Cycling because, and they've actually changed their calendar for 17. In fact, they've changed a lot of races. So Redlands was traditionally like the first race of the year. Now it's in May. So they're trying to have more calendar flow, geographical flow in the calendar because women's teams typically don't have the resources to have two sets of infrastructure in different areas of the country. Meaning you ha- it's really hard for them to have a race team in California operating with a, with a director, with a, with a mechanic, and then have that same setup in the Southeast or on the East Coast doing the same exact thing. Nor do they have a, that enough, enough racers to do that. So that was a, a harsh reality that USA Cycling had to address, and they have addressed it, and we will see the outcome of that. So just having not, you know, to, to drain the resources of the budget by going back and forth across the, uh, the country will help. And how is the international schedule affecting that as well? Because it seems like more and more U.S. riders are now on uh, international teams. Well, I think the push for that has become the realization that if you want to do well, if you want to win an Olympic gold medal... Because really, the Olympics is the is the height of women's cycling. If you win a medal, you've done as you've done as best as you can do. There is no Tour de France for the women. There is no, you know, I guess I guess actually I would say what Megan Garnier has achieved, you know, being the leader of the Women's World Cup. That that right now in a in a Olympic gold medal is about what you can reach, the height you can reach. The reason why you see more women jumping over and saying, I want to be on a, on a Euro team, or I want to be on a UCI team that races in Europe is because that's where you get more opportunity to race at the highest level and compete in the races that do have some coverage that have higher profile. I think we do have high profile races in the U S but you know, the Europeans come over here and cherry pick those. Whereas on a regular basis, the number of world cups are in Europe. And so world cups create the opportunity to get points, points to go to world championships, points to the championships, world championships, then give you points to try to make the Olympic team. So it's a process. And it seems like the U.S. now has 
the women, the women's teams in the U.S. have now understood the process. And they're like, if we want to be considered a major player, if we want to send women to the Olympics, we've got to be UCI status. And that UCI status, we actually have to go race in Europe. Are you getting buy-in by the riders, by the racers themselves? I know that we talked about the the Virginia Slims circuit, and that definitely had some resistance in the beginning. Absolutely. And I think just like that, we're getting resistance as well because it's a it's totally different. It's something completely new. You know, telling telling the racers that, well, you know, those long, you know, 100-mile races, 80, 80, 90 with lots of climbing, you know, epic climbs, those don't exist. That's not very popular because most of us got into cycling and our love for it became on those long rides, those long training rides, going up mountains and, you know, having epic days. That's just pretty much not going to work when it comes to TV-ready product for women's cycling you know it's going to have to be something like the richmond course where it's it's uh and even the richmond course would have to be cut where it's condensed you know it's spectator friendly you can almost watch the whole thing yeah i mean that's that's a tough pill to swallow but it really depends on if you want to up up the ante in women's cycling are you willing to sacrifice in order to get up here to make more money to have it on TV. Right. So I think it's uh, it's going to be a mentality switch. It's not going to be something that's approved overnight. It may not be for another five years. Well, it's um, also hope- certainly a different type of race, and like an t- entirely different type of racing, a different type of training. Yeah, it's like a, cri- a criterium on steroids. Right. <laughs> you know, it's a lot more demanding physically. You know, a different type of 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 rider may succeed. Right. I think, but with any kind of training though, you know, I think we all know you train for what you want to race. And so if you wanted to be good at this, you would train for this. I think they have to, I think riders are typically, we're really hesitant because we're, we feel very, I guess, okay with, with being safe in our spot. Like we know what we're going to do every year. Right. It's like a cycle. You, you know what your off-season looks like. You know what your December looks like in January and so on. So it's very rep- repetitious, right? And so when you throw something completely different, it's like nobody knows what this is going to be. They don't know how people are going to react to it. They don't know how people are going to race it. I wonder, too, if it's going to change the team dynamics of racing. I mean, just hearing about your idea, I sort of get the sense that teams could be really exciting. You know, if you're really playing with your the team members you have it would be fun yeah i mean i think you could have more teams i don't think people would need to have 10 riders you know you would you'd probably limit it to six on a smaller smaller course you know or maybe seven more team tactics i think it's just it's 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 like i i feel like it, it would encourage more aggressive racing it would encourage um it would just, I think it, we get motivated by people. We get motivated by fans. If we know the world is watching, you know, when you go to a world championship like in Richmond, people were all over the course and people raced their bikes. That was, that was like amazing to watch. I watched it, you know, live. And I think it, it, it just motivates the riders to want to, to rise up and be the star or their team win. And I think that only creates just a better atmosphere for our racing. I think it would just take some time, honestly, and and money. Let's let's not talk about like 
the money, if we could provide a, a healthy prize purse where it's like, there's good money on the line. Maybe you even give start money just to show up. But yeah, it's like those, those opportunities have been few and far between. So riders don't really understand that. It's not like they've been offered that. I also think that there's a, there's a lack of sense of stability. So, you know, you never know if you're going to be on another team next year. You don't know if you're going to get one of the very few paying spots. Yep. And if it was all set up, I think maybe there would be a ability to relax and, you know, actually race. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head right there. It's like women's cycling is so competitive with each, with, with each other. There's no loyalty. So how can you feel confident about racing for your teammate when you don't even know if you're going to get the job next year. You have to get your own results. That has been a problem for as long as I can remember. You know, there are a couple riders, those GC riders who are super valuable and everybody else is expendable. And oftentimes there are, there's no like going to bat for another teammate because you're trying to get that contract for as much as you can, not worrying about what anybody else gets. So there's, there is no security in our sport at all. You could be at the top of your game one year and, and then not f- and find yourself without a contract the next year. That happens. Everybody's told to mind their manners and behave. If you become a writer or a, an athlete that it works for some people, it works for some sports, it doesn't work for cycling. You know, you're labeled as a troublemaker. You're labeled as, uh, you know, someone, a wild card, someone like team can't trust. They're very, you know, I think cycling is very into conformity. You know, we all, and I get that. I mean, I get, we all want you to look the same. We all want you to, you know, portray a positive image, but not having any personality, not saying what you feel. I mean, that was, (laughs) that was ultimately one of the reasons I got, I decided to retire when I did is that I was tired of, of a no positive change. I can't say no positive change, not enough change quick enough. And I was like, you know what? I can do more positive good. I can do, be more positive influence influencer by being out of the sport and being able to talk about it and make and take action rather than trying to like fall within these rules. Well, that's a good segue to what can riders, you know, around the country do to promote women's cycling and to get more more women involved. Well, that's a great question. And I think, you know, ultimately to get more women involved in cycling, it's, it's, it's definitely like going out there and, and riding more with, with maybe people you wouldn't ride with or going to bike shops, doing, doing events, putting yourself out there in the community. One of the things the WCA did, we started doing the Join the Ride Tour, which was creating a ride in different regions of the country. But we would encourage women to come out and enjoy a day of being around pros, being around other women, enjoying camaraderie and social the social aspect. It wasn't necessarily a race. And then when you when you get women there, then you talk about like women's racing and how to become a fan and you know where you can watch us if you can or how, you know, the the races, the teams that you can be a fan of. And so it really takes a it takes a a ground like a a, a movement from the grassroots side to really become a reality. When you look at like the the big stars, like the Ronda Rousey's, although she's not a big star right now, but you know, she was like my hero for a while. And she still is my hero, even though I'm really sad about her, her last fight. But like, she was out there. She put herself out there. She was, you know, she was on every TV show and just like, you know, talking about what a, 
what a great sport that she was involved in. And I think we need more of that. We need more women that are willing to, you know, be on TV and be, be interviewed. And you just have to take those opportunities. It may not be part of your regular standard program. It may not be, you know, what you do on a daily basis, but you've got to like, we've got to show the world, the personalities that we have. We need to do a better job of reaching out and kind of finding the, the unknowns and getting to know them because they're the star. They're going to be the stars or they, they're the ones that help those people who actually are on the podium get there. The teams will say they don't have enough money to hire a marketing person. Well, these days you, you could have a, a writer sit there creating your marketing. You could do your, your social media. And I think we need to do a better job. The teams need to do a better job of marketing their assets and the assets of the writers. And there are a couple teams out there that do it well. And there are a couple teams that don't do it at all. And I think as part of a, a, a writer contract, you have to negotiate that they will take it upon themselves to market themselves. However, that team sees fit and however they want it done, but it has to be done. Everybody should have the social media outlets and they should use it on a frequent basis because that's how we get to know personalities. So one of the things also I wanted to ask you about was uh, that you have a bike shop or you co-founded a bike shop. That bike shop for me was the reason why I think everything came full circle. We had an opportunity. We knew that we wanted to to focus on women. Anytime a, a, woman, a woman walked through the door, we were going to give her attention. We were going to treat her differently than most bike shops had treated women. And that was a huge, huge piece for me. It was so important because I, I thought back to how I was treated at a bike shop and how the reason why I became all of a sudden was given opportunities to become a cyclist was because I was treated really well at one bike shop in Nashville, Cumberland Transit. And I said, you know, we're going to focus on women. And sure enough, at some point in time, I can't even remember where it was, we had we had so many women coming in and doing our training classes. And it was just, it was such a great feeling. And I, you know, I love being on the ground floor, coaching and helping people, teaching people how to clip in. Like that was, that was just the essence of it for us. And, you know, it's still, it's still thriving. Uptown Cycles is still around and they, they do a lot of different things there. But for me, it was like putting our passion into real life and helping other people get on bikes. And, and it was just, I think I look back at it and it was some of like my happiest times. Really, if you decide not to focus or not to give women what they need, you're going to miss half, half of your market. I would say the fastest growing market these days in women and in cycling is like masters women. I have, and they're the ones who have the resources. They have, um, they have time. They are dedicated. They've also, they've pretty much had careers or they've done something. They've been moms and now they have the time on their hands. And I'm seeing more women, more masters women come to me for coaching right now than I ever had before. And I think that's super exciting. In fact, USA Cycling is creating more masters categories for women than they've, they, they've never done that before because they're seeing this, this number grow. Cool. They spend, they spend a lot of money. It's, it's, it's fantastic. I think they're finally finding camaraderie in the sport. And I wanted to add, you know, it's interesting because from the bike shop, it's been what I did learn is that women want to be involved in, in camps and clinics. They want to do things. And it's been awesome because now that I've retired from racing, I've been, I've been lucky enough to partner with a woman down in Santa Barbara. We've created a, 
our, our coaching business together, Revolution Coaching. And now we have the time and the energy to put into creating camps. And we've done a women's camp. We did two last fall in, out of Solvang, California. We did WOW, so it's Women on Wheels cycling camps. And we had, you know, 20 women come up to come to our camp. It was a, a five day camp of riding coaching. And, and to me, those are the, like the most gratifying things that we can offer. We're giving experience, we're giving knowledge, we're giving empowerment. It's, it's a really beautiful thing. And so I find myself now spending a little bit more time focusing on creating an experience for women on their bikes. And it's just been, it's just been great. I'm, I'm, I love it. It's, it's, you know, it's like the perfect job. I do want to talk a little bit about what you've been doing with the Paralympic team. Yeah. Last year when I was directing, I I had the opportunity to bring on, at Redlands last year, Sam Bosco, who is a Paralympian. She went to Rio this past year and won a couple medals. She was from the area, LA, and I brought her on. And we got to talking about the paracycling team. And so I told her, I was like, you know, if an opportunity ever came up for a pilot. So when you have a tandem, there's a pilot and there's a stoker and the pilot rides in the front, the stoker's in the back. If an opportunity ever came up for a pilot position on a tandem with someone who was blind or, or any other disability, it's usually blind. I would love the opportunity to kind of just see if it's something that I would want to do. And crazy enough, an opportunity came up last, last June with a, a woman named Sean Cheshire uh, she is completely blind, and she had been racing for about three years on on the tandem with different pilots. And so we got together in June in Santa Barbara, took a little ride together, and I was like, wow, that is the most intense cycling experience I've had in so long. You are not only riding your bike, but you are constantly communicating everything that's going on. Verbally? You're, uh, you're talking to her? Verbally. You have to be saying left turn, right turn, downhill. We went to our first uh, paracycling camp. So this was our first real opportunity to get to ride to, together on a, in a team setting. There were athletes there from all over the country who were on the, the paracycling team. There's a director, a team coach. It was, really, it was really fascinating. So Sean and I got to spend five days riding together on the tandem, learning each other, uh, communicating. It's one of the most uh, difficult things that I've ever done on a bike. It's, it becomes exhausting, but it just becomes kind of second nature. And, you know, Sean and I are still working through like personalities and how do you, I mean, you basically want to become one on the bike. When Sean and I decided to do this partnership, we, the first thing we decided was that we were going to, we were going to bring on a sports psychologist because we felt communication was the one thing that we could absolutely work on from the gun. And so she has helped us navigate kind of a partnership. When this opportunity came to me, I thought, you know what? I have nothing to lose. I think I, all I can do is, is gain from this opportunity, be, a, be on a team again, you know, learn to communicate on a different level, a higher level, and really just, you know, be part of something bigger than myself. And so it was super appealing to do this. And after our week at camp together, I had this week, so I'm home this week to time to kind of decompress and think about it. And, you know, I went through a lot of highs and lows last week. It's, it's exhilarating, but yet you're like, what am I doing? It, it's like, you know, this is not what you know. It's learning something completely different. It's starting over. And so I was excited about that because 
I like challenges and I like to push myself. And so we, I'm actually leaving on Sunday to go down to the LA track and we're going to be working together on the tandem on the track, which I've never, never done before. I've only ridden the track a couple of times. So this is, I like, it's kind of scary, but it's also kind of fun. And, you know, we are, we have plans to race several world cups together on the tandem on the road. Um, we'll be traveling to Europe. There's a, a race in Italy, uh, the Netherlands, Belgium, and then the, the world championships are in South Africa in September. Wow, so that, that is our, awesome. yeah, I've kind of jumped in with both feet and I'll said, say. let's just do it and see how it goes. So, you know, I'm excited. And this week at, at track camp will be an adventure. I'm sure <laughs> considering I haven't ridden a track bike in ages. <laughs> so I think, you know, we just kind of take it as it comes and, you know, I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity. And she trains full-time? Yes. So she became blind about four years ago. She was she served in the, in the armed forces and then took a job as an EMT and had an accident in an ambulance, uh, hit her head, went partially blind, and then within a year became totally blind. So she has, in the last four years, um, come from being, you know, working an EMT to, like, being an athlete. She's, uh, you know, she trains every day. She is, she's disciplined, like, just like any other athlete would be. And, you know, we get the opportunity to ride together a couple times a month on the tandem. So whether you're with the tandem partner or whether you're on your own, you still do all the training. Right. And, and now, what, how are you going to change your training for this, if at all? And how are you going to train for the track? So that's great. I, that's a great question. I, uh, I have someone who is helping me. I mean, as a coach, I believe in using a coach. And so I have a coach that's giving me specific workouts. Now they are, uh, they are different from what I was doing as just a road cyclist. Um, you know, when I get off the phone with you, I'm going to go sit on the trainer because it's pouring down rain, which I haven't ridden trainer, a trainer in a couple of years. So <laughs> it's been, uh, that's been a little bit of adjustment. You know, I'll I try say. to find something fun to watch on TV, but, uh, yeah, so I'll do some high intensity stuff. You know, part of the, part of the process for me to get back into the racing scene was just coming to the terms that I'm going to have to train again. And I think when you, when you call yourself an athlete, you feel like you can pretty much jump into anything and go do it but you don't really know what those repercussions are. And so I'm kind of figuring out that, you know, taking a year off from racing is very different and difficult to get back into the training uh, regimen than it was, than, it, than I thought it was going to be. So I'm having to work through a little bit of that, not to mention that I'm 39 now and, you know, I'm, I'm not a spring chicken anymore, I would say, but I definitely have kept, I've kept, you know, I've kept my fitness level up. It's just different. So I'm having to to learn some things that, you know, I wasn't necessarily keen to five years ago. And what are the, what events are you going to be doing on the track? We are doing the pursuit and we're doing the kilo. And how about on the road? What what are the races like on the road? So the World Cup races, they are similar to a road race course. They're very, they can be hilly. Typically, the ones that I've heard about in Europe, uh, in Italy, are very hilly, little cobbles, so cobble, cobblestone roads. You know, you it's a mass start race, so we will start with other tandems, you know, right in the start gate, just like you would a road race. And so, 
you know, tactics have to be implemented. You know, it's a lot about energy conservation and, and just like you would in a road race, except, you know, you have people on tandem. So I have not seen the courses. I've only seen profiles and they're, they're definitely have some elevation gain. So I find that's like the hardest part is when you get on a tandem and you climb, you feel like there's a lot more force on your legs. Like when you climb, it's hard. And yes, you do feel loaded, but like and on a tandem, you feel it more in your, uh, kind of in your knee area, in your, in your lower quad. And it's, it's been interesting. So, you know, you have to, I think the best way that we can approach these races is just spend more time together and go out and train on some harder terrain. Well, I want to start wrapping things up, but is there anything else you'd like to mention or talk about? You know, I just want to say thank you. And and I'm very appreciative of having this opportunity. And I think, you know, more just the fact that you are interviewing women in sports, I think is fantastic. You know, I want to encourage more people to, you know, be interviewed and and not be afraid to, to show who you are to the media and to the, to the world. I think it's, you know, we, we are only as strong as, if, as, as who we are. And I think we can each do a lot of, of good if we decide to put our effort and energy into it. So, you know, I feel, I feel very grateful that you're taking the time and opportunity to reach out to people in different areas and, and get their perspectives and, you know, see what they're doing. So we can all work together instead of working in separate pieces. You know, it's like, how can we pull our energy together and, and efforts to become, to make things better for, for our, our sport and different sports in that matter. Well, thank you. I, I, I appreciate you saying that. You know, we have a velodrome here that has gotten a lot of support. Oh, really? And, yeah. It was built by a bunch of friends and they decided, hey, I really want a velodrome. And so they built it. That's awesome. I, well, let's come to Cleveland. Because Hear Her Sports is a new podcast, please take a few minutes on iTunes to rate it or even write a review so more people can find out about it. There's a yellow iTunes link on the upper right side of hearhersports.com. The Hear Her Notebooks are now available and have started to ship, ordered directly from the website. Support the female athletes you know by attending a women's sporting event or watching one on TV. Follow us on Instagram for some images of what's going on. Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see... They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Kobe Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo jo, Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network. <laughs>